Welcome back to Bread and Butter, everybody, on episode 46, where we're serving up the basics for Hearthstone improvement. And as always, I am joined by my co-host Tito. Tito, how are you? I'm good, Doc. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And this week, we have a very special returning guest, World 8. World 8, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being back. Uh, so, first things, uh, what have you been doing inside of Hearthstone? Uh, it's been a it's been an interesting week. Uh, I started off the season um, in becoming an early legend and kind of staying in top one hundred. It was uh, it was pretty exciting, um, but over the last week that has gone down significantly. I've been trying a lot of new new things out, and uh, the meta has been full of very uh, very powerful decks. And uh, I went down to about a thousand, which is still really good. Um, you know, still playing all of these 11x players. And, uh, but, you know, some old decks that I uh, dusted off, like my big Demon Hunter deck, were just, just not cutting it. And it took me a good dozen losses to <laughs> accept the reality of that. Um, but uh, we've been doing well yeah. on our THL team in the Hero Series, where we've got the playoffs this week. And, um, yeah, I've been uh, testing out a whole bunch of decks um before that we'll we'll see if there's a patch this week and that changes everything but i've been doing a lot of learning uh focusing on mech rogue actually it's a deck that i didn't pick up when it was super powerful but uh you know cost caught my interest recently and it's a lot of fun um a lot of really powerful stuff and you can kill the opponent on five uh, which is always uh, an exciting game. Yeah, so uh, for me, I've been playing basically BGs only uh, for a while. Um, and I'm at like 5.5k in BGs. Uh, f- and I've noticed for some reason, whenever I get the tier 7 anomaly past Norganon, um, I never do well. I'm always out like by like the sixth, like sixth or fifth person. Um, I just can never break top four with that anomaly. Um, you figure out why, but still having a lot of fun with the anomalies. I think that all the anomalies for the most part are very, very fun and just interesting ways to change the game up and changing the normal play patterns. Um, I will play standard a little bit, uh, just to get like the five wins to get the card back. Um, but outside of that, I'm not really sure until at least the new expansion comes out. Um, which that hearing all that news blew my mind today. Uh, but yeah, any more than that, I'm not too sure about, especially with my, uh, move and everything coming up here in a couple days. Uh, Tito, how about yourself? Um, before me, I would recommend if you have time, you just use up your stars, get to where you are with your star bonus. Cause otherwise next month, you're probably going to be another tier behind from where you are. And it's usually pretty easy to climb with your star bonuses. So I, I just do what you, I mean, obviously you're busy, do what you will, but I would definitely recommend if you have the time, find a deck that's fun. Maybe you'll find one here tonight with some of the decks we're talking about and just try to use up your star bonuses. Cause once you get the one star that way next month, yeah. the climb is not sure. that much hard. Um, so I got up to legend. Um, it came in at 33,000, uh, 3,300. Um, I was bouncing around there for a little while, I even had a bad day on Saturday where I dropped down to about 4,400. But then last night I had a really good night where I ran it all the way up to about um, 1,600-ish. 
and was feeling pretty good about that. And then I hit a hit a little bit of a losing streak and I came back down to earth. So right now I think I'm right around 2,700. Um, I have a soft goal right now, which is to just try to keep my rank above where I came in, which was at 3,300. So if I can do that, I'm going to call that a win. This is a soft goal. It's it's hard to do. We still have, what, like half the month left. It was just Nora's Dormer Day. So um, if I don't hit that, I'm not going to be sad, but I'm going to make it my like a goal to, to just kind of keep it where it is. Um, <laughs> and I've been playing the Garden Pally, which I really, really love. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I've also played the Funky Monkey uh, Momentum Demon Hunter, which... When Funky Monkey gives a deck, usually, unless you're like Funky Monkey, it's probably not going to work as well for you as it does for him. However, when Funky Monkey tweets out a deck and says, oh yeah, by the way, I'm also top 200 right now, that's a deck you can kind of believe in. So, um, Funky Monkey, random banana deck, eh, play it. Have expectations. But when, when he has a deck when he's playing in the top 200, that's definitely a deck you can probably... Um, Find, find ways to win with. So I definitely recommend that. Um, but we'll talk about um, at least the uh, Garden Pally and a couple other decks in our main section. But World 8, what have you been doing outside of Hearthstone? Well, it's a spooky season, as my wife would say. Um, we just celebrated uh, one year for our younger son, um, which is terrific. And uh, when when we were when we were in the hospital, she was uh, on, a, on a few drugs, and she's kept talking about spooky season. And so it's been a, a running joke since uh, we have a very large pumpkin carving party this upcoming weekend. Probably a hundred and fifty people, several bands playing. It's a quite the event. That's awesome. Um, so looking forward to that. Yeah, it's it's incredible uh, how big things got over the years that it started with a dozen people and 10 years later, it's 10 times that size. How about yourself, Doc? What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, so on Sunday, so today we're recording on uh, Tuesdays, uh, October 17th. Um, on Sunday, uh, Cortland and I went hiking out at Zion National Park for the last time as living down here. Um, and her last day working for the park was on Monday. So it was the last time I could get into the, into the park for free. Um, we did the Emerald pools hike, which is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, we did the middle pool and the lower pool. We didn't go to the upper pool cause the bridge was out from some of the heavy rains we got in, during monsoon season. Um, it was a great time. We ended up hiking like it was only four and a half miles. So it was kind of like a short medium hike. Um, I brought my camera with me for the first time, uh, out there for the first time living here. Um, and it was incredible. I got, uh, some cool pictures of two different Ravens sitting in a tree by themselves and, uh, got some pictures of some wild deer that were, uh, collared so that the park rangers, everybody can keep track of them for data. Um, saw some, saw a bunch of wild turkeys, probably saw about 30 wild turkeys or so. And then as we were hiking to the lower pool, saw a very, very large, chunky, uh, squirrel that is definitely getting ready for its hibernation period. Uh, thing looks like a football. Uh, so took a couple pictures of that. 
And I will eventually post these pictures to Twitter, but uh, the cable that I use to connect my camera to my computer made its way up north uh, a couple weeks ago. So it'll be a couple weeks till I can do that, but it will happen. And these pictures should be, uh, at least I think that they are fun. I don't think I'm a very great photographer by any means, but I think pictures are at least enjoyable to look at. Uh, other than that, just uh, wrapping things for the move, finalizing plans, getting the U-Haul rented, um, realizing it's been a year since I've seen my niece. And the amount of growth that happens within the first year is absolutely incredible. Like my niece is like talking a little bit now, like her, her new couple words that she started to say randomly is yeah, boy. And like my sister and my brother-in-law don't say yeah, boy at all. So they have no idea like, where this came from. Um, but like she says my name when she sees me now over FaceTime, she looks under the bed and sees the cat says kitty. Uh, it's just crazy how quickly like infants go from, being just something that just eats, sleeps, and poops and does nothing else to being someone that can like talk and like convey thought. Um, I don't know. It's just really cool. Like she's my, she's my first niece and I'm just very proud of how she's grown. Also, I want her to stop because I want her to say little, uh, but yeah, that's everything. That's everything I've done outside of the game. How about yourself, Tito? Okay. A few things before we get to me. One, um, you gotta get her to say, sling those cards, baby. Um, two, all those animals you listed, you can come see when you, when I walk my dog daily, I see ravens. I see that we have wild turkeys in our yard. We got the large squirrels. So just come on by. We'll, we will, <laughs> we'll introduce you to our menagerie out here. Um, world eight. Now, when you have your, when you, when your kid's birthday comes around, you got to try not to say, Hey, this is for your birthday and for Halloween. They hate that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean we're not there yet. He's uh he's one, so <laughs> <laughs> And Doc, I meant to give you grief last week and I forgot to until afterwards, but it was this is two weeks in a row where where the doc's outside of life segment has been actually not half the podcast. So good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> um for me, um <laughs> I've just had um we did we had the pumpkin fest, the local pumpkin fest this weekend. That was fun. Uh, we missed a lot of it because we went down on Sunday instead of Saturday and we got there when there was supposed to be plenty of time, but then like the pumpkin painting was all out of pumpkins and then, Oh, we closed at one and it was like one Oh five. And it just kind of was sad that a lot of things were closed, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I think I've t- said on this podcast, I've been working on losing weight, um, changing some diet things and more or less just trying to be a little healthier. And I am now as I'm still, slowly getting to a new low i'm almost down to 170 which is where i want to be um at least before i start doing some exercising and adding to that i'm going to continue to keep working on it so um i'm just very happy about that it's been it's been a journey it's been decisions to just do better and and it's amazing what little things like not putting cream in your coffee and trying to snack less at night and just little things like that will add up so um definitely we've talked about setting goals doesn't just apply to Hearthstone, right? Um, I had some guild drama with Warcraft because I've actually, I think I mentioned this before too, is I've taken a bit of a hiatus from Warcraft while I've been doing other things, this podcast and other things. And meanwhile, my, my guild's still a thing, but because I hadn't logged in for so long, somebody voted or somebody um, initiated a procedure that dethroned me. And then we lost the guild. We lost the guild bank. We lost a bunch of stuff. 
And that was like right away. People were like, Hey, what's going on? So I got back on, I opened up a ticket and they basically like, wow, you've been playing wow for 18 years. Sorry. There's nothing we can do. So I opened up another ticket or I responded to that. And I was like, hi, I've been here. As you said, I've been here for 18 years and I've spent, I don't know, thousands of dollars on this game. Maybe we can help me out this one time. And they ended up helping me out and they restored my guild and we were able to get, and then we found out that um, the person that the did the initiation, the dethroning, wasn't the person that got all the stuff. It ended up going to another older member of the guild who probably just clicked through something when it popped up and they said no or something. And so all the guild stuff got mailed to them. So as we started to figure out and piece all these things together... We found out he had all the stuff. He's like, I don't even log into that character. But then we found out he had all all the guild bank stuff, all the guild money, which was like almost a million gold and, and all the stuff. So we got everything back. We're working on it. But that was kind of a like that, that I found out right before I was going to go to bed at like midnight uh, two nights ago. So, you know, it's one of those things where. Uh, but everything worked out well. But there's been information about a new wow um patch but we don't care about that that's not what this podcast is about there's also been another announcement doc why don't you tell us a little bit about that uh yeah so the new uh expansion got revealed today um and i'm probably gonna get the name wrong but it's showdown in the badlands yeah i believe right? that's correct um, yeah, Showdown in the Badlands, uh, the kind of lore behind it is uh, Blood Rock Mining Company operation is ran by a corrupt sheriff, uh, Barrel Brim, uh, which it's just alternate universe evil ridiculous. That's that's who this is. You cannot convince me otherwise. Um, and there's two keywords being the first quick draw, which it's a special bonus if you play the card on the turn you drew it. And then there's excavate, which each time you excavate, you get a new treasure uh, out of this big list of different tiers. And every time you excavate, you get deeper into like the mine, right? So you get a better a better treasure until you get the ultimate treasure after like four or five excavations. Um, and there's a new free legendary for everyone, which is Thunderbringer. Uh, when you it's Battlecry when you play him, summon a elemental and a beast from your deck, right? I believe. Uh, yeah, which is super cool. So they're pushing tribal, they're pushing Highlander, uh, doing some really fun stuff. And yeah, what what do you guys have to think about the first like, I don't want to say real world, but this is like the first like real theme that feels very grounded in something that's more relatable to like Earth, because like the Midwest and like cowboys and and everything. So what are your thoughts on the new theme of the new expansion? Well, I have to just—I dis- have to disagree a little. I thought Festival of Legends. I—I I thought that was a lot of fun. I mean, I've been oh, to true. music festivals, which were a lot of fun, and I thought that was pretty. You know, coming from a year of very serious storm wind and barrens and all that, it got kind of goofy, and I thought it was terrific. Um, but I'm glad to see more of it. You know, uh, I love thematics like. Nathria, but you know that was very wow grounded here we have some like the barons yep. is forgettable and wow i mean tito's played more wow than i have but i i have no recollection of the zone uh, but the fact that they're using it as a springboard for this terrific theme 
I, I think it's great. Well, this isn't the Barrens. This is the Badlands. This is on the other continent, and it's below Arathi Basin. Um, and it's basically near Black Rock Mountain, and it's it's pretty much just like a desert area. It's around 40-ish, or it used to be around 40-ish when you used to go down to um, these uh, yeah, it, it it was it was a mid it was once you started getting into um multi uh the horde and alliance zones that were overlapping. This is one of the earlier ones in that. So um it's really it's it's really way out there. So um but the interesting thing is, and by the way, in a couple weeks we will have a guest on to talk about lore and we'll we'll discuss this specifically. Um this. But one thing I found interesting is they they position this as a long time ago, right? And from what it sounds like, what the pieces coming up is that this is before the League of Explorers. And while Elise is one of the cards and Reno is in the key art, this is before they got the whole band together. So it sounds like we may not be seeing Finley. We may not be seeing um, whoever the other dude is. But um, it's it's going to be that. But the problem is, like, this is it's not a problem. But this is Hearthstone taking liberties because if you watch the video, they say they're mining Azerite. Azerite came when Sargeras um, stuck a giant sword through Azeroth just recently, like two expansions ago. So the timeline of that doesn't all make sense, which is fine. That's what Hearthstone does. But I, I, th- I found that interesting right off the bat. It's like, why are we mining Azerite? Like, but this is a long time ago. That doesn't make much sense to me. But um, can can I be a little critical? Absolutely. I mean, this isn't even like bad critical. This is just like doc, how like how I feel. Um, I love League of Explorers. I think they're fantastic characters. I know that the team is good at creating stories and creating new cards. I also believe they could create a new team of characters to kind of be like the co-leading stars of Hearthstone original characters. I personally feel like there's we've seen like a lot of the League of Explorers in each iterations we've had, and we've had like three or four. Granted, they do space them out like every like every two years or something, but like Brand just a version of Brand just rotated out of standard, right? And then we have Reno's like Reno's back, and I don't know. It's just, I think just League of Explorers, we see them a little bit too often for my tastes personally. That's fair. I, I don't mind it as much because I know that they try, they, they want to have kind of a character set as a brand and having them appear. And this happens mm-hmm. in Magic too, right? They bring back characters multiple times and all that. So I, I feel what you're saying and I agree on some level, but also I'll give them the leeway because um, I don't think that um, we're not seeing all the. Uh, mercenaries back and we'll probably see them again um these are just they're four characters they want to keep them kind of involved with the story we're not getting them all this time we're only getting a couple so i I can deal with it but i definitely see your point um but let's talk about quick draw first world eight what are your initial thoughts on quick draw so quick draw uh just to give uh i'm sure if we went over the context of this is a card will either be discounted or have a special effect if you play it the turn that it's drawn. Um, the examples we're given were a Lifesteal Shaman card that cost one instead of costing three. So a little bit of a discount. We'll see how powerful these can get. Um, 
a lot of times we can take context from other games. Magic the Gathering had what was called miracles, and those were very powerful effects that you wanted to play immediately. And so I think it's going to be, they're, they're going to be typically powerful. Um, unfortunately, they're going to probably reduce the decision-making in decks that they're in, uh, where discovery is a lot about, okay, well, I'm adjusting to this game state. They're, with quick draw, you're going to be very motivated to play them right away. Uh, we saw this with Need for Greed, where there was a little bit of a tension as to, do I play this immediately? But the answer is almost always yes. I'm going to go out of my way to play this, unless I'm really disadvantaged. Yes and no, because that had tradable. So you might not have played it right away, but you would throw it back into your deck in order to get it again at that cost later on when it was more appropriate. Yes, and very accurate, but I think I'm still sticking by my point that these are going to be best when drawn, and they're going to you know, be very biased as to what your new game plan is going to be for better or worse. I, I, I feel you and I agree with you, except I do think that they took that into account. And maybe we have, we've only seen a couple of the cards, right? Cause the trolley problem, which is one of the warlock cards um, is intentionally designed where you might want to play it as a quick draw or use it in regards to discard, disc, discarding, right? Um, let me see if I can pull that up real quick. Um. So that that's yeah, discard one card. Yeah. So um, it's trolley problem is a three mana warlock spell. Uh, discard discard your lowest cost spell. Summon two three three tram cards with two three three tram cards with rush. Quick draw. Don't discard. So in that particular case, you're probably always going to want to play it when it comes out. But also, it may work with the the discard mechanic, and maybe they're supporting that. So, um, I'm hoping that. They they thought about the exact problem that you're you're suggesting, um, and maybe we'll see an interesting play on it in more than just that particular card. The one thing I don't like is it always feels bad when your opponent top decks the card that beats you, and that's going to probably feel double mm. worse now. It's going to be double tilting when they can quick draw you for victory. Uh, but Doc, what do you think about the card? Whether the the keyword? Um, so I I do think that the like the effects are going to be powerful and will be a big, big incentive on to play them on the turns that you draw them. But that's trying to draw them on the specific turns. So like it's still random, right? On like when you're going to like draw a card or if it's going to show up in your mulligan. So there's still times for the cards to whiff for the quick draw. So it won't always be something, but I definitely uh, do feel like when you get the quick draw effect, it could lead to, depending on like which quick draw effect it is, we only know a couple right now. It could definitely lead to some uh, harder feelings. Um, so I absolutely do think like getting quick draw on curve, most of the time, hundred percent, that's going to be people's like snap to play just because you get better value in one way or another. Um, but you're still trying to guarantee that card draw on the turn that the card is for, or the turn that you draw the card. Um, well, we have this very interesting mechanic called Dredge, which lets that's you true. pick the next card. And Dredge, so we'll see if uh, that's relevant. That's two more expansions, right? No, that's this is the this next yeah. expansion is the last one, right? Yeah, so it's gone. So it's gone into. Sorry, no, so we're, we're only going to have that overlap that. for one expansion, unless we end up getting 
a rumored fourth expansion a year that they've we you know that's been talked about. I don't think that's going to happen this year. I think that would be announced at the beginning of a year, but you never know. This one, this set's coming a little earlier, right? Yeah. So uh, I mean, yeah, uh, November. The old... <clears throat> Go ahead. So um, yeah, it's a little earlier. So who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, what about um, um, excavate? This is the one where so. Whenever you you have cards that have excavate on it, it it draws a uh, treasure, and I think I'm not sure if it's discover or if it's you just get a treasure. But every time you excavate, the next time you get a different tier of options from the treasure. So every time if you excavate three, four, five times, you know, rogue does shadow step, plays it again, shadow step, plays it again, and you get these treasures. And eventually, I think one of the treasures is a legendary minion. Um, so. What do you guys think about this world? Why don't you start us off on Excavate? I think this is going to be very powerful. I This is going to be um, very much abused by a class like Rogue, like you mentioned, where they can very quickly escalate the Excavate and get really good treasures. Um, the ones that we've seen uh, seem very powerful for the cost. So you have to balance, did we pay more for the excavate mechanic than it's worth to do this increasingly powerful thing? And generally, as we saw with previous uh, cards like this, starting with things like Jade Golems or Relics, which are, you know, we could see still in standard, are these are very powerful types of effects where they're permanent for the rest of the game. I, I think this is going to be very defining for a while. Yeah, and there's also um effects that so one we're not gonna go over we're not gonna go over all the cards. We're not gonna go over that. You have coin conceded for that, you have um Blizzlet for that. They'll they always go over all the cards. But um Harrowing at Harrowing Ox, for example, is a card that takes advantage of Excavate because it's a seven mana seven seven uh Death Knight card. Um, taunt, battle cry. If you've excavated twice, your next card this turn costs seven less. So that's pretty powerful. Um, that could be a real big swing turn. So it's not just the treasures you're getting, but it's also this potentially synergies outside of that. Like another one is the uh, blast mage miner, which is battle cry. It's a six mana four four battle cry. Excavate a treasure for each card in your hand. Deal one damage to a random enemy. So um, it seems like that not only are you getting the result, which probably would have been more than enough given how powerful some of these look, but you're also getting additional effects. So this is going to be pretty powerful. Uh, Doc, what are your thoughts on this? Um, Yeah, I think the only treasure that matters is the new location, uh, which is a three mana, two durability location called Ogrefish Boulder. <laughs> Ogrefish Boulder, excuse me. Uh, set a minion stats to six seven, and you know for the mana cost, those stats are uh, pretty great. So, I think that's the only one that's really going to matter. Uh, the other one of note to me is, I hope there's a Godzilla fan on the design team because there's another. I think it's like a tier three uh, treasure. It's the Steelhide Mole. It's a three mana taunt reborn. It can't be targeted by spells or hero powers. It's a two seven. Uh, it's just Anguirus from Godzilla. It's one of Godzilla's companion kaiju. It's just Anguirus. You can't can't convince me otherwise. 
Um, but in all seriousness, uh, I think as excavate is going to be really fun. Um, it's going to add just a new way to get something again. You can't, it's not a discover effect. I believe it's random for the tier. Um, I saw on a discord server hat said that you can't choose what you get. Um, but I mean, still most of these, most of these effects look like they're going to be fun. There's definitely some that are better than others. Uh, yeah, I think excavate is going to be a fun, fun new keyword. Um, and it sounds like only about half of the classes are going to have access to this according to the like reveal announcement. Uh, It sounds like about half of them are probably going to be quick draw classes and then half of them are going to be excavate uh because the excavate classes are going to be the class that like a line or a side with the mining company and i assume the quick draw are going to be like the outlaws or the people fighting against the mining company to protect their little township um yeah i i'm just hoping that druid does not have excavate i don't think they'll do that <laughs> So another thought I just had is what is the critical mass of excavate cards? Because when we saw forge cards, it was very exciting, I think. But we realized that there was only one forge card for a lot of the classes. And some of those forge cards weren't very good. So if a class does do excavate, but it has two cards and neither of them are very good, hard to get excited about. So we'll have to see. Yeah, and there are there are some forge cards that are very good too. And um I can tell you that I never like seeing warrior forge on two. That's for sure. I don't know what you're talking about. Bellowing is fine. I'm not saying it's not fine. I'm just saying <laughs> I don't like seeing it. Um and on one one other note that this is a content patch. There is no balance. So they they have not nuked Yogg from orbit yet, which they need to. <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll talk about this expansion as we get more notes over the next couple of weeks, but this does not get released until mid November. Yep. So November 14th. We have, so we have a whole nother month of a meta to talk about. And I don't know about you doc, but I'm starting to get a little hungry. Um, I could use a, a, a good, good meal right now. What do you think? Yeah. I think a hostess snowball sounds pretty good. So today we have an, a very, uh, how to put this? You're a deck innovator right now, and you have become World Eight has become sort of a known quantity. Where often uh, Coin Conceit and I believe even uh, Vicious Syndicate have brought you up as a innovator of these decks. And um, right now, not right now, pretty much always, you have an aggressive mindset. You like to hit him in the face, hit him hard, hit him fast. Um, would that be accurate? Yeah, it's very accurate. I. Uh came back to hearthstone I, I i did the beta incredibly and then put down the game for a long time i came back around stormwind alteric valley which had this terrific card called arbor up and arbor up for those not familiar with it was a five mana druid card summoned two treants and gave all of your minions plus two plus one and what this allowed you to do is flood the board and then permanently buff everything and that escalated everything very quickly and i very much enjoyed that card and effects like that ever since now were you a drum druid fan this this expansion yeah yeah i think it's uh it's a good deck i think it's actually underplayed for how powerful it is 
but a card like Cultivation is exactly kind of like that. All right. So our main topic today is snowballing, and that kind of fits into a lot of the aggressive decks that we're talking about. So when we say snowballing, we kind of throw that term around like most people know, but how would we define that in, in this context? So when I think about snowballing, it's kind of like compound interest, where we're putting a little bit of investment into our cards, but that the next time we put an investment in, it's going to be even more powerful. So by the time we've put our third investment in, all of a sudden we have some really powerful synergies coming online that our opponent must respond to, because otherwise they're going to be overwhelmed very quickly. Uh, we could see this going all the way back to Hearthstone's early days with Murlocs. If you let a Murloc board get out of control, there was there was no going back into that game. Currently, we have a, a few snowball decks, as it were, that have different ways of doing that. But the philosophy behind all of them is the same, which is we're starting with not much, potentially very low impact cards. But when combined with other highly synergistic cards, the power level that we keep adding on is going to be very high, even though we might be paying a very low, low cost as the snowball grows. And I think one good example of that, not not one of the ones we'll be talking about tonight, but like Totem Shaman is, I think, a very good example of that. Because you, you start off with just basic totems, and then you are able to make them bigger and bigger, and then ultimately cultivate in a bloodlust and kill your opponent. Yeah, and the two cards there that are the snowball effects are not only what you're putting on the board, but things like Totemic Evidence become stronger, Thing from Below, Gigatotem, those get discounted, and that's part of your snowballing effect there is that you've put these resources in, and now your future cards are becoming more powerful from your initial investments. All right. So we have three particular decks that are, uh, Totem Shaman aside, we have three specific decks that we want to talk about tonight. Um, Mech Robe, which is probably one of the most snowballs decks we've had in a while. Uh, Enrage Warrior, which obviously we're going to talk about some kind of warrior more late here. And my personal favorite right now, which is Garden Pally, which is Gar Gar Garden Pure Pally. I just call it Garden Pally, but I'm not sure what the official name is. Um, so... How do you snowball with each of these decks? What what is what is and, and we can either go through all the questions with one or we can take each to each topic individually, however you want to do it. But like, where do you want to start? Sure. I mean, we can go line by line, as it were, uh, because they're all very similar, but they do it slightly differently. Each of these decks are aggressive decks, uh, very much focused on stats, stats on board to win the game. Uh, Enrage Warrior has a slight exception to that. They have quite a bit of from-hand damage. But most of these decks are trying to pressure through the board, put stats on the board, and if their minions are left unchecked, could get out of control for their opponents to, to handle. Mech Rogue is focused on important keywords in addition to building uh, one large minion, typically, uh, that large minion might end up with Wind Fury and Lifesteal, making it very difficult to leave unchecked. And 
that deck in particular is using a lot of very low-cost uh, minions to combine all of these effects together. It allows it to be fairly flexible in its game plan as to what it's going to focus on at any given point, but a typical game will be focusing on one very large minion that will be carrying that deck. It's a um, great deck to see the impact of what if I put all of these, just build my own really powerful minion and my opponent just has to deal with it. Um, again, there, there's some really powerful keywords in there. Wind Fury, Lifesteal, and Stealth are the big ones. Uh, with the other ones coming in uh, relevant at times, you know, you can make a Rush Poison mech, uh, which can be very effective. But in that particular deck, it's, it's very much focused on we're going to build one large minion that our opponent can't deal with and go from there. For Enrage Warrior, we are also focused on building uh, aggressive stats. We have Infused Axe, which is going to help us build those stats on the board. We have Once we have damaged minions and those minions stake around for a turn or two, the Axe will keep buffing their stats until they're pretty much out of range of most removal for, uh, you know, any damage-based deck to deal with. That deck also boasts a pretty significant hand buff package through its Anima Extractor, allowing it to present some significant from-hand damage with its charge minions. It's a deck that snowballs both on-board and off-board, making it a little challenging to, to know where you're going to be against that deck, but as a person playing the deck, you're not always sure what your game plan is going to be until you've drawn your cards and made a decision along the way as to what kind of game this is going to be. The third deck, the Great Garden's Grace Paladin, we, the snowball effect there is that along the way we have these very powerful holy spells that we're using, which culminates in the buff of the Garden's Grace, getting discounted for every holy spell that we're playing and allowing us to put these enormous buffs on any minion left on the board and potentially doing 10 from hand damage, which is incredible for a paladin to do um, on top of things like Horn of the Wind Lord. Uh, paladin decks don't typically have very large from hand damage. So if you're facing down a whole bunch of little silver hand recruits, any one of them could be a, a potential threat with that deck. Because again, along the way, we've been doing things that already progress our game plan, like playing Boogie Down, a holy spell, which will discount that Garden's Grace later. Very nice. Now, um, and that deck is so much fun. But uh, let's say we're we're trying to we're trying to build up this momentum, this snowball effect, and then we get our scene cleaned. What's our plan B in some of these decks? Because the uh, same thing with like Rogue, oh. Rogue, they they knock out your big minion. You had it stealthed, and they played something that clear, cleared it somehow or whatever. So what's our what's our plan B with these decks? So plan B for most aggressive snowball decks like this is to reload. Ideally, we have, at this point in Hearthstone, the ability for most aggressive decks to present one board and then present a second board, if not a third board. 
and we'll try one more time typically. Um, we've taken a few turns to build up some kind of snowball effect. It's been reset by a shard of the Nauru. Uh, it's been reset by a deadly shot potion from a rogue, something like that. And we're going to give it one more go. Uh, Enrage is a little bit different because it could have that plan B being a hand buff plan. Uh, and we also have, with the Garden's Grace Paladin, what we might have to pivot to is, all right, well, I'm going to save all these buffs for one large minion, do a Keeper Strength, clear the board, and hope that one gets through. Most of these aggressive decks in the past, though, have been, we are going to present a threatening board. If that one doesn't work out, we'll present another one. And if we're still persistent, perhaps a third. But the plan B is is same as plan A in most cases, which is the aggressive board and challenge your opponent to deal with it. One of my favorite parts of the Garden's Grace, like you were saying, is some big... but. Getting some big minions late, you can possibly buff them up later, but also the Countess is in that deck. So that gives you kind of a, a pull in case of emergency, whereas if you if you make it to turn seven, you're not always happy about it, but at least you have maybe the ability to, um, one, place a minion on the board that they have to deal with that you can otherwise buff and, and take over with, but also gives you the options of getting those potentially free and powerful legendaries that can really turn the tide there. But, um, yeah. So, does our we we talk about the strategy, which is basically, hey, let's get some stuff on board, let's make them bigger. Enrage uh, Warrior is a little different. You're kind of making things bigger in your hand a lot of time, and then and going from there. But, um, does our strategy change whether we're facing aggro versus mid range versus control versus whatever? Like, or are we just go go go? It depends on the deck and the matchup. Uh, for most of these, uh, against other aggressive decks, they're often looking to do the same. So we generally want to, we have some key minions that sort of power our snowballing effects or uh, a some, something key to our strategy. And if that gets disrupted, then oftentimes we'll lose our momentum in building up our own strategy. Against another aggressive deck, they're often looking to do the same. Uh, we didn't mention it before, but something like a like a face hunter, their snowball is just simply damage to you, where then they can be threatening, even if you're at 10 health, something like that. They they could potentially just kill you the next turn, um, and that's their snowball. So against a deck like that versus against uh, a deck like the Tree Hunter, where all of a sudden their board might become incredibly threatening, we do have to fight for board. We have to protect our key minions through uh, sometimes more value trading than we'd be happy to and kind of keep control of the board. Against a more mid-range strategy, typically we want to get under them. Uh, oftentimes they'll have some kind of swing back mechanism, but if we get there quick enough, if we snowball fast enough, maybe that won't be enough. And if we... Again, keep presenting these threatening boards, they might not be able to catch back up. Against a control deck, it's a bit more measured. We know they have the removal. We They know what our game plan is. And it's a little bit of a, we're going to try and bait out some of that removal, keep pushing damage, because we're not going to loot, we're not going to win. 
the late game there. We need to close it out before they eventually swing it back, because they will. So each matchup is different. Each type of deck that we mentioned has a different sort of snowball strategy of its own. And so it's it's going to depend, of course, on that particular matchup, but generally against other aggressive strategies, fight for board against the mid-range, mid-range strategies, try to get under them, and against the more control strategies, push aggressively, but know that they can clear your board, so you will probably likely have to reach for plan B at some point. And with, um, I have the most trouble with the, the, either the mirror matches or just like the aggro versus the aggro, because it's, you either decide to trade and then end up paying the price for it, or you decide not to trade and you end up paying the price for it. It's, it's, it's very interesting on how you have to kind of evaluate how they're playing, what their threats are and what you need to clear and what you don't need to clear. I also really like, um, when you're playing against a control, like say the control warrior, one of the key things that you need to be able to do is pressure them because a lot of uh, they're going to clear your board. You're, you're playing aggro. They're going to clear your board. As we joked earlier in the podcast with um, bellowing flames, um, they have uh, uh, trial by fire. But the more pressure you can keep on, the more damage you can get done. If they can't play Odin, because if they do, they lose that tempo and you can kill them. That's where you can win. Um, even if it goes a little bit later, because if they can't get to their, their, their win condition, then you might be able to win. Uh, one thing that I've really found that has helped me get better at these decks is play your cards. One thing I typically tend to do historically, and even still now, is, well, if I play this and they have this, then um, then I lose my momentum and then I'm just done. So I, I hold on to things. Or you, you say, I'm, I'm not going to play this Garden Grace right now because if they have it, then I'm, my game's over. But if they have it, your game's over anyway, even if they have it now, whatever. So if you play your cards, you make them have... I, there's been many times where I've been playing against a control priest and I have, it's like turn six and I have Victoria light blade and a, and you know, a silver hand recruit. And I just say, I push my ch- chips to the table and put them all in and say, okay, let's make two 14 13s and see what we can do there. And if they clear it, they were going to clear it no matter what. And if they don't clear it, you win. And if you wait longer, then you're just not going to get there. So, uh, do you have any thoughts about like, how when you should play your cards going in or is that always the right strategy what do you think on that kind of thing i would say generally yes you want to challenge the opponent they know that you are going to have a game plan that if they don't respond to it immediately it's going to go pretty poorly for them and one of the subtle points against a control matchup just to touch on that briefly is not to let them play their card draw You talk about not letting them play Odin, but it's almost just as important to not let them play their stone-skinned armor. Because if they don't draw cards, they won't find the options to clear the board. They might not find that bellowing flame in time. And so the removal might not line up with the board that you're presenting. And so that's important, too, that if we keep playing our cards, they're not going to have the breathing space to draw cards and find the solutions along the way so keep presenting threatening boards sometimes you do want to wait sometimes it's play anima extractor on two just naked because they're not going to have a way to clear it unless they bump it a few times and then you've gotten really good value out of a two drop 
We don't always have to get greedy there. Other times, they have a board that if we played the Animal Extractor, it's just dead. We didn't get anything out of that particular high-value uh, minion. So it's, again, all about context, but generally, yes, you want to be presenting an aggressive front and challenging them to deal with the potential that your game plan could quickly overrun them. And the card drawer is interesting too. I know I am horrible about not, um, I almost always pop double cross without thinking about it, but if you can, sometimes you don't want to do that. Sometimes if, if you can make it to a place where you have that one extra mana without changing your game plan too much, then not drawing those cards is, is huge. Same thing with, uh, Druid, like they, I got, so I had a, a game yesterday, I think I posted it in Coin Concede, uh, where I might not have, I posted it somewhere, that I was on turn four, I had two really big threatening minions against a druid on turn four. They managed to double innervate on that turn and then play all their cards and then play a Yogg and then take my my taunt minion and it was just game over so uh it, it's the less you can put them in a position where they can do things like that uh, it's going to behoove you to do so uh i've definitely learned little lessons uh again i mostly i have I, i've played plenty of enrage warrior um not as much because i've been able to just bring enrage warrior to some of my like thl matchups and people just ban it so i don't have to be as good with it because i just know it's going to get banned anyway <laughs> but um with the uh paladin I've definitely made mistakes where if if you're playing, you have to know the class you're playing and it just don't just assume like if you're playing mage or warlock, they have this stupid spell called reverberations. So what that does is it copies your minion. They get a copy of it. And with your paladin, you often have divine shields and taunts. So if you're going to try to make a big threatening board to try to, you know, push that damage next turn, Try to think about maybe having the taunt be smaller and on the side, and then your big minion not be the taunt, possibly, because then if they reverberate that one, you can make your taunt big and go face and ignore that. Um, so little things like that are, are what I've been learning lately to try to take advantage of this without like losing those matchups, because it's those stupid little decisions that 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 are percentage points in, in these victories. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things about the decks that we're talking about in particular is that oftentimes the games are decided in the first five turns. The games might go on to turn eight or something, but if we haven't hit the ground running and started our engines by turn five, it, it might not happen at all. We usually have a little bit more breathing room than some people think we do, but it really shouldn't, we shouldn't be starting on five. We need to start a little bit earlier than that, at least with these particular decks. Yeah, I can't tell you how often I uh, try to uh, play Spotlight on two because that's a huge momentum swing. You can get your, your, your dude out on one and Spotlight. You can get like the Righteous Protector down on one and Spotlight down on two against a Druid. You're going to have a good time most of the time. Um so actually, this is not, this is this I didn't write down. So this is coming at you kind of fresh. But mulligans are hugely important in these. And I know you look at the mulligan stats and it'll say keep these cards and all that. But you have to look at what you actually have in your hand and not just go based on stats. Because yeah, having Rich's Protector is probably a keep most of the time. But um, if you have like I I won't keep Spotlight unless I have a 
uh, divine shield, one cost minion. Uh, if I if I don't have any one cost minions, I'm throwing everything. But like if I already have one of them, I'm keeping, um, you know, a, a two mana buff spell, a, th- a three mana spell, and all that. So, how important is setting up your mulligan in in, in your opinion for these to to initiate these snowballs? And and how do you go about doing it? A lot of these decks have some very key cards that enable the snowball effect. We talk about uh, things like Drone uh, Deconstructor for, for Mech Rogue, Anima Extractor or Axe for Enrage Warrior, uh, something like Boogie Down for the Paladin deck. These are all very strong enablers. We want to find them. We don't want to settle for, for middle-level cards. Even if they look okay... You look at the statistics of them. We don't want to settle for okay. We want to settle for those synergies. We want to find the combination of cards that will allow us to start snowballing. So usually we are typically keeping those cards that are a piece of that puzzle. Um, but something like in Mech Road, Pit Stop is a fine looking card. You discover a mech, give it a boost. But it's not really going to present a threat to our opponents, and it's also not going to really enable the things that make our deck strong, to be honest. Okay, but would you keep that if you also had a prep in hand? It's a good question, uh, and I think that depends on the matchup. Generally, I wouldn't, though, but I could see an argument for for doing that, but I personally would generally not. I'm looking for a little bit more of a faster start. Fair enough. And that, that's one of those things I have played. So I've played probably about 200 games already with this this deck or a version of it. I took out um, Adrian and I threw in a, a, the the weapon that gains, every time you play a minion, it gains um, Disco Maul. Uh, Disco Maul. Yeah. Um, just, and and I'm not, I'm, I didn't settle on it, but I, always felt, I felt like Adrian just was always like a dead card or, or didn't really help me that much in those matches maybe i'm wrong but it never felt good to me so i I swapped it out just to try something else but it's it's always i i played like i said i played a thousand games with the shadow priest and no matter how many games i played i would get a mulligan situation it's like well what do i do here because every time you see it and every matchup is different and the synergies that you could possibly get are always kind of interesting and then how do you do it i think i think the mulligan is probably the most critical thing in, in some of these matchups, but um, it's very critical. And I also want to make a note that sometimes we've got to roll the dice too. Um, you know, oftentimes you'll play a Hawk strider right on three, right on curve. It might make sense to save it for four when you could play a minion to go along with that Hawk strider. But if we don't take the initiative and challenge the board, we are, our game plan isn't quite as strong playing that on three. And then if it does survive, our turn four looks terrific, typically. And if it doesn't survive, you've used up some of the removal anyway, and that's also potentially a good thing. Well, there's a lot here. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners uh, on this, this concept of snowballing and um, what they should be doing? I think the most important thing is to understand why these decks are strong. What are the synergies that are powering um, the the snowball effects? There are usually, like I said, key elements to the deck, either key minions, key spells, 
identify those. What are they powerful with? And try to find those synergies, play into that. And um, these particular decks, there's actually not usually a lot of card draw or, or options. So one of the reasons the mulligan is so important is you have to find those synergies and find them quick. And play your cards. That's and play your cards. Yes. Yes. Don't and like we said, trading. You 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 don't trade. And again, except in like the mirror matchups or like the aggressive aggressive matchups where you have to think about it more. If you trade, you're just helping them. Let them trade. Go face. Um, they can't they can't play more cards when they have zero life. So just play your cards. This that that's the strategy here. You're gonna lose. You're gonna be wiped out. Sometimes it's just gonna happen. You're gonna have a nice board. They're gonna clean your scene and and you're gonna build it up again. And then they're gonna um what was it pop something or other. Um, clear your board again and then you'll be like, well, I'm done with this game. Time to move on. But if you don't play your cards then it doesn't matter if they have them or not because you've made it so they don't need them. Um, Doc, do you have any thoughts on this topic before we uh, move on? Uh, Snowballing decks are fun. I enjoy them, but I like playing things with more polarizing matchups. Sometimes it's fun to plop down the one minion that you get really beefy. And I think these decks are are fine. Obviously, the meta is going to have an ebb and flow and let decks like and archetypes exist. Um, yeah, I think small snowbally decks are fun. Uh, Mech Rogue probably is is about my favorite snowbally deck in the meta right now. Because um, like World 8 said, sometimes killing people on turn five is uh, pretty fun. And and we don't even have the uh, min- we don't even play the minion that splits your big minion into two anymore. That used to be that was a lot of fun at the beginning of the expansion. And they, they nipped that in the bud real fast. Um well, anyway, Doc, that was a lot of information. I'm kind of full, but I think I have a little room for dessert. What do you think? Yeah, dessert sounds good. Uh, so, listeners, please leave us a review and rate us honestly to how you feel the show is doing. Um, whether that be one star to five stars, we hope for five just because that helps with visibility. But we want our show to be as good as it can be. Uh, so if you do review us, uh, please leave a little like text review and let us know what you think about the show so we can make it be the show that we all want it to be. Uh, your reviews aren't required, but they are appreciated. Uh, so world date, one final interview question for you. What is your favorite dessert? Uh, it's a, it's a great question. Um, since over the summer, really into ice cream, specifically moose tracks, we're moving out of the summer months, but, uh, it's my favorite ice cream, and I still uh, still probably uh, enjoy it quite Thank a you. bit. <laughs> Solid choice. So, World 8, where can people find you on social media? You can find me at World 8 underscore HS on Twitter. Um, it's where I'm likely to share decks that I'm excited about, either something that I've made or I find particularly interesting. I'm very engaged on Discord in various um, Hearthstone-related channels, and you'll find me there. It's just World 8. And feel free to engage me at any point. I am very happy to talk Hearthstone with anyone who wants. Speaking of, um, you're all, like you said, you, you're very active in the Coin Conceit Discord specifically, and you actually get an opportunity to be on Coin Conceit. How is that? Oh, it was terrific. It was, uh, it was a great honor, and they were in between hosts, and I was I was just 
very thrilled to be there. I had won the listener series, so that's why I had been invited onto the show. But it was it was still great to be on there, and uh, they have terrific hosts and a terrific show. So very happy, as well as being here with these two <laughs> terrific hosts and a terrific show. <laughs> and that was and that was a lot of fun casting. Uh, we me and Dawn, me and Dragon Rider cast the the matchup, and you you kind of made quick work of your opponent there, but it it was still a lot of fun. Um, Doc, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me find me mostly on Twitter and sometimes on Twitch at Doc McButt. And Tito, how about yourself? You can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Tito Santana HS. I still stream too much when I should be taking nights off to do other things, but most of the time between 9 and 12 on just about any day of the week, you can find me playing Hearthstone. That's PM and that's Eastern Standard Time. Um, World 8, you got any shout outs this week? Uh, big shout out to my wife. Um, I know that's pretty typical, but uh, she's just been like kind of very supportive and the backbone of my life for us two, three years. Uh, you know, we had some some personal rough patches and she was always there for me. And, uh, you know, probably just my biggest supporter all around every day and I got to give her big shout outs every time I get yep. the chance. No, no, that that's very awesome. And, um, um, you know, it's great. And she's a big listener of the show, so I'm, I'm sure she's going to be very excited to hear it. Um, <laughs> Doc, how about yourself? You got any big shout outs? Uh, yeah. So, World Eight, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, again, it's nice to finally get to be on the show with you. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. It's nice to have people with uh, such insightful knowledge of the game, especially where we've gotten to see your journey from breaking into higher legend to sustaining a high legend uh, rank throughout the months. Um, it's very cool to see your growth as a player. Um, so thank you. Um, and general shout outs uh, to squelch podcast for hitting 200 episodes. That's a big accomplishment. And uh, keep up the good work, Squelch. How about yourself, Tito? Well, that was my <laughs> shout out as well, Squelch. Congratulations, 200 episodes. Doc stole my thunder, but it's okay. Um, we're both big fans of Squelch, obviously. That's part of our community. And yeah, that's that's great. It's fantastic. I can't wait to hear the episode. I think it should be out probably by tomorrow. So looking forward to that. And um, yeah, that's probably it for this week. Um Thanks, everybody, for hanging out, but I think we're toast. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Take care. Slide two brothers meet one another when they slide up to the mic. It's bread and butter with one another. Let's start up that recording light. <laughs>